we started with playing uh playing with gear you know i i love fly fishing but as lefty once told me when he turned around in the boat we were not doing much good with the fly anymore and late in the morning in east texas did you bring one of those damn spinning rods lefty you're you're a fly guy you know he's hell i just want to catch fish i don't care what we catch on. that was rick pope with another classic lefty cray story this is the wet fly swing fly fishing show Welcome to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show, where you discover tips, tricks, and tools from the leading names in fly fishing today. We'll help you on your fly fishing journey with classic stories covering steelhead fishing, fly tying, and much more. Hey, how's it going today? Thanks for stopping by the Fly Fishing Show. Head over to wetflyswing.com Facebook to join the community we have over there and ask a question for our next guest. Rick Pope is on today to share his story of how he created Temple Fork Outfitters by doing things a little bit differently. We find out how Rick was able to bring on Lefty Cray uh, pretty early on, which helped to launch TFO. We talk about some of your upcoming rod lines and some changes they have going, and, um, and also talk about how the warranty, the lifetime warranty concept was a little bit different and helped to also separate TFO back in the, the 90s when they kind of launched into it. I'm also going to have uh, Josh Clausen back on again uh, to read that Brook Trout uh, poem uh, from FTJ. That's uh, You can check that out there. You can head over to uh, ftjangler.com if you want to check out the poem and the uh, edition there. Before we get started, I wanted to take a moment to thank our sponsors. We've got a great new sponsor for the podcast with some very comfortable products. SoFly Gear, headed up by 17-year-old James Carlin of the U.S. Youth Fly Fishing Team has a buttery, soft, quick-drying line that I have been loving. Head over to SoFlyGear.com and support James and the podcast. The Fly Fishing and Tying Journal has an exceptional fall edition out right now. Head over to FTJAngler.com to support the great work Craig and the gang have created just for you. That's FTJAngler.com. Here's Rick Pope from TFORods.com. How's it going, Rick? It's great, Dave. Good to hear your voice. Yeah, yeah, you too. This is this is awesome. We're putting this together. Um, we've had, uh, you know, over the years with TFO. I mean, obviously, you guys have grown into, uh, you know, your current role as what seems to be a leader out there in the fly fishing space. And I remember way back in the '90s when you guys got going and those rods first came on the market. So we'll, we'll dig into that. But maybe we could just first talk about how you first got into uh, to fishing and fly fishing. Uh, personally fly fishing, I grew up on a farm in central Texas and I don't remember exactly when, probably 1960, I, I got a fly rod and a, a Shakespeare wonder rod and foam spiders and level line and just found out you could tear the bluegill completely up with it and, uh, didn't really fly fish much until I moved to Dallas after college and, uh, started taking trips to the Bow River and, always had an extra spot and always invited me to go um kind of interesting because i bought the original company springbrook from my good friend and ken went through a period of selling um uh, think back late 90s dot com era and river runs through it and all the cocktail talk was about being a fly fisherman and there was a lot of expensive bought equipment bought that people never really learned how to use and uh, I don't know how you started but it's it's it can be a bit frustrating 
And if you've never fished and you start fly fishing, uh, you can learn how to cast, but you still don't necessarily catch fish, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so we decided, uh, really, I wanted desperately to find a factory that would make rods for us. And um, that happened, I think we introduced our first fly rods in 97 at the uh, uh, IFTD show in Denver. And, you know, they were they were pretty Spartan. Uh, Korea was big time making rods and making them for lots of OEM folk. And yet they looked a bit Stone Age. All the snakes were the same size and, you know, the grips were big and pack bay real seats and they weren't very attractive. But uh, when we got involved, it was five, six and eight weight, two piece rods, nine footers. And they retailed for 75 and $80. And uh, part of my background being in Wall Street fixed income sales was dealing with actuarial liabilities, right? So you you find fixed income assets that can help the fees, whether it be an insurance company or a state fund, pension fund, uh, or a money manager. Uh, the the actuarial liability of the evolution of uh, lifetime warranties just scared the hell out of me. And, uh, you know, I, I, I couldn't figure out if people were reserving against it or if they were marking them enough to, you know, create a, a cushion or, but the insanity peaked at the over the counter, no questions asked, no cost replacement. And I guess it, it, it didn't work for me. So we started with a $25 warranty fee and that pretty well, you know, covered us covered shipping, uh, at the time shipping was a third of what it is now, uh, and made a commitment to consumers primarily that we were going to take the best of care of them. Um, Meanwhile, dealers were not particularly excited about selling rods that inexpensively. The blanks were great. And uh, I remember Lefty casting some of our rods in the first generation. And, you know, he raved about the blanks. He said, you need to do a lot of work. And uh, and we did. We evolved and got better and better and uh, ended up making a deal with our our Korean partner in the late nineties as China was beginning to dominate the OEM rod production and Korean factories were closing and he was concerned. And, um, at the time it wasn't a big part of our business, but it, it sure felt good and sounded good. And, and, you know, it was exciting because we were at a price where you could get new people in the sport and whether that be, you know, economically beneficial or environmentally beneficial. It's, it's both right. Mm-hmm. Um, so we made a deal with him and, uh, told him we would really try and build a brand if he would be our exclusive rod factory. And what is that? Mm-hmm. 20 years ago, mm-hmm. um, both Gary Loomis and lefty Cray have called, our factory manager partner, BJM, the best engineer they've ever worked with. 
And um, all I did was sit in the middle and kind of yep. pass on both directions, what's doable, what's not, how to tweak, how to change. Um, so we, we've prototyped by this point well over 2,000 rods. And, you know, obviously we never introduced 2,000 rods. So, you know, there are a lot of uh, misses and near misses. And, you know, if you can tweak it, make it better, uh, whether that be action, design, engineering, materials, you know, you, you keep pushing the, pushing the envelope. Uh, changes over the past few years have been really, really nominal, I would say. Uh, you know, lighter, stronger, better recovery, all those kind of things. It, uh, it's been a fun ride, um, working with lefty and Ed and more recently with flip and, uh, Gary Loomis for a while on our conventional rods. Um, it's really been fun. I pinch myself because these guys were all heroes back in the day. Right. Yeah. And to be able to listen to them talk about rods and performance and specific actions, specific needs. Um, you said trout rods. I mean, you know, that's a, that's a whole subset. Wanda Taylor helped us with, uh, with our finesse series, which, uh, was really designed for, you know, spring Creek, small water, light tippet, um, think southern southern southeastern u.s uh through the appalachians and you know little brook trout and and they've been a hoot yeah. um that's um, cool i don't know if that's what you fish or not but our actually the um you know i'm glad you mentioned that and i want to take us back to in a second back to lefty and gary and some of those big names because yeah those all those names ring uh you know obviously <laughs> you know the biggest names in fly fishing um, and it sounds like you, you know, part of your success is you, you were able to surround yourself by, you know, some of the greatest people in the world. And, you know, so that, that's a good formula for success. But, um, yeah, on the rod. So I have a six weight. I have a couple TFO rods. One of them, I have a six weight uh, that's my go-to, you know, it's just one of my go-to trout rods. And, and it's not super, you know, I think I fish it big, like wind and, and stuff like that. It works great. Um, so we'll get into that, but let's, let's bring it back to lefty. Cause I know that was a big, uh, part of TFO. How, how in the heck did you get lefty on as part of, um, you know, the lefty series? It's still, I've got a, a spay rod there with, with lefty cray. Right. And I mean, how do you get this guy on and what impact did he have on your company? The impact and the timing was, was huge for us. We, uh, um, I fished with Lefty the first time in the mid eighties down in Belize and flip and Mark Sosen were hosting a trip and, uh, you know, he's everybody's best friend after you spend a week with him in particular and, um, see him at shows and consumer shows and dealer shows. And over the years, he, um, he became a little less enchanted uh, with his employer at that time, if you call it employer, it's a royalty relationship. And, um, to the point mm -hmm. that, that he was being chaperoned and kept away from our booth shows and uh, September of 2001 found it really frustrating that 
they wouldn't let Lefty in our in our booth to say hi or do anything. And so I decided I was going to write him a letter and say, "Come work for us," you know, be our be our rod designer. And I write this letter painfully slow. Uh, people do that to me because they know I don't read too fast. But uh, uh, <laughs> he left the show and had his first stroke. Well, I can't send it now. You know, it's close to Thanksgiving oh, wow. and, you know, Christmas is coming up. And I knew this would be a little hard for him. So just before Christmas, he had his first heart attack. <laughs> Thinking, damn, you know, this is Please. this is not good. So as the first, uh, I think it was an ISE show in Denver, uh, talked to our rep. And, he, oh, yeah, Lefty was here showing his bruises on his arms and everything. But he was Lefty. And so I sent him this letter and FedExed it so I'd know exactly when he got it. Didn't hear from him for a week. I'm thinking, man, I really screwed up, you know. Uh, he called me and he mm -hmm. said, you know, I can't say yes, but I don't want to say no just yet. I'd like to talk about it and think about it for a while. Which we do three, four times a week for a month. And uh, he finally decided that he was going to. This is after a period of being snowed in in Toronto, coming back for a, from a Calgary show, read his same Louis L'Amour book every day. And we never talked money. Um, that was never an issue. Um, we talked concept and relationships and family and all those things that behind his casting acumen makes Lefty, made Lefty such an incredibly neat guy. Um, so he wrote his employer a letter and uh, said he was going to sit it over the weekend and think about it. And I said, okay, will, will you call me Monday? Sure. And he did right after he got back from the post office. And I said, well, can, can we do something? He said, yeah, I think I'd like that. Um, so we, <laughs> we, I wrote up a two page contract and sent it to him and he said, that's fine. And, um, the, um, press release went out, I think on Wednesday concurrently, the biggest player in the affordable end was, uh, Reddington. They were the leader in the clubhouse of over the corner counter free warranties. Um, and that worked so poorly that by the time you get enough rods in the market, you got a whole lot more coming back than you have going out. And, um, they kind of hit the wall mm -hmm. and went through a period in the spring, um, not long after lefty signed with us where they couldn't deliver. And we probably doubled our dealers in that period. And, uh, high class problem obviously mm -hmm. puts some pressure on production, but, uh, we, uh, we made great strides at that point and, uh, you know, began to diversify more and, Lefty would call and he say, do you know Bob Clouser? Well, sure. So will he be interested in working with us? And Ed Jaborowski, same thing. Nick Curcione, all these guys used, used Lefty as kind of a, a sounding board for access to mm -hmm. the TFO family, as it were. And again, it was never about money with any of those guys. Unlike the, you know, the Bass Angler Pro Circuit, where 
you want to go buy uh, Kevin Van Dam, yeah. you can. Um, but the consumers really drove the bus for us. We uh, we weren't compelling the dealers because our prices were a little bit low, and and while the high end was selling really well, uh, you know they did not want to dilute it. And as a result, we kind of floundered along and. Things turned out right for us, and it's been a wonderful ride since. Yeah, well, you mentioned, I mean, you've mentioned a few things here. The the warranty, obviously, was a big part of that. Bring us back to the warranty. So, basically, your warranty now is what it was back then 20 year, years ago, right? You basically, it's an unconditional warranty lifetime, and you just pay uh, a fee, right, to, to get it replaced. I think it's like $40 now? Uh, $35, $40, somewhere in there. Um, yeah. You know, and really all that accounts for is the increased cost of shipping, which is tripled, you know, whether it's USPS, yeah. FedEx or, or UPS. Uh, yeah. Uh, full that's, piece rods that's... are not expensive to ship, but at the same time, um, there's, there's serious, serious costs involved in shipping anything. That's right. That's right. And that, and that is the, so, and you mentioned Reddington. So back then, and who was Reddington when, you know, I know now they're owned, I can't remember now. I mean, there's a big conglomeration, but it, who was it just Reddington, a single company back then? At the time they hit the wall. Yes, it was just Reddington. And, uh, you know, Jim Murphy had run that company for 15 years, I guess. Um, and Jim's a good friend. I mean, I, you know, he's a fierce competitor and that's fine. Uh, yeah. They were taken over by uh, the Sports Authority initially, and then Arvis, and now they're part of the uh, Sage Rio Reddington conglomerate. That's right. Yeah, that's right, conglomerate. And and you guys is TFO now, or are you guys a single? You're still you're not a conglomerate, or can you can you talk about you know um, the, you know the difference between what what you guys are versus some of those other because there, there are a lot of the big companies that are, are conglomerate right there are uh, there are a whole lot more rod companies than there are rod manufacturers you know we can distinguish ourselves by saying we are truly a one source rod manufacturer we, we have all our mandrels all our patterns everything is proprietary and we don't make rods for anybody else um and the evolution of that we'll get into later. But the, the, the good news is when you, when you change manufacturing sources, um, you suffer consistency. And, uh, you know, again, uh, to have a, a consumer tell his friend that, you know, I, I think this five-weight professional series is a perfect rod for you. Well, every one of them is exactly the same. Uh, we can tweak them from time to time with materials, but the actions stay exactly the same. And the warranty parts basically stay uh, to a high degree of certainty the same. Uh, yeah. So we're able to turn rods around warranty-wise as an exclusive factory a hell of a lot faster right. than anybody else. I mean, it, it, you know, some of the big-name guys, and, and you know what I love? side lock 20 gauge shotguns but i shoot 870s just as well and mm -hmm. if you're gonna miss two three six months for a, a warranty return well you got to do something right you can't be without a rod through the hatch the run the, the season and uh, we picked up a lot of 
consumer, you know, it's kind of embarrassing to say when people break rods, you know, A, they're not happy. B, the fact that you can get it back to them in a week uh, makes them very happy. Yeah. Uh, particularly true with guides. Uh, and our rods get great play with, with guides, whether they be saltwater or, or drift boat guides, because they too have to have something. And if, if they're high in stick brakes, what are you going to do? Plus the consumers, you know, are going to be perfectly set up with the equipment in the guy's boat. Oh, combination of consumer word of mouth and guide support, uh, and dealers realizing ultimately that it's not the margin that you sell something for. It's the amount of turns you get. And, you know, you can look at Walmart. I think Sam Walton's last book, Walmart was making an 18% gross margin, which is Mm -hmm. ridiculously low, but they were turning inventory 12 times a year. Wow. So, you know, every time you turn, <laughs> you take yep. the profit, put it in your pocket, replace it. And, you know, man, it, it's a it's a powerful tool. Um, dealers, some dealers still struggle with that. You know, and some dealers want to sell Ferraris. And, man, I get <laughs> it. Uh, but it's hard to entice new folks into the game when you're when you're playing with a comma in your first outfit, you know. No, I got you. That's, that makes sense. Yeah. You basically, you guys are just turning over uh, more inventory and, and it sounds like you also stick with, you know, if you talk about the series you, you mentioned, um, I'm not sure what was your first rod series that you had out there. Is that still going? Is that the professional? The two piece family was initially called the signature series. Oh, signature. That's yeah. right. And, uh, I think they still are signature two, yeah. I think. We made an advance in uh, materials and toe count and resin weight and all that stuff. Uh, we don't do the nanoparticle stuff because it's never seemed to work for anyone. But hmm. uh, anytime you can reduce resin and uh, and therein weight, uh, recovery is better, accuracy is better. You know, everything it, and it inches forward it's not a big sea change but uh, everybody pretty much does the same stuff and uh, yeah you know we have uh, I think 18 20 employees now at the factory mm-hmm. in Korea um, the four lead managers have been there for 20 years wow and uh, you don't go to Korea to necessarily save money on labor, uh, but their work ethic is unbelievable, and uh, as is their pride in what they make, unbelievable. Uh, so we've been really blessed with this relationship with uh, with BJ in Korea. Yeah. Are, are there other... I mean, is Korea, I'm not totally familiar on that. I know, obviously, China, there's a lot of production there, but are there a lot of other uh, rod companies out of Korea, or is that a unique thing? Or you know, know, Dave, I think it's down to three or four, and, um, you know, occasionally somebody tries to get in, and, you know, you can certainly find um, engineer and factory workers that have experience 
unfortunately, most of the factories in Korea will close down in the summertime. So hmm. we never close. We did not close production or shipping through uh, COVID-19. Uh, we ran on a pretty lean staff and played by the rules, but it was, mm-hmm. it was always interesting to me how in the summertime, uh, BJ would be somewhat deluged with, uh, applicants. So in those slow months of production, uh, you know, while we would sustain the, uh, uh the other factories would tend to close down and we got to cherry pick some of the employees over time. Oh, mm, gotcha. What, what is the biggest challenge about working, um, with, you know, overseas, uh, manufacturing? Is there, cause I know there are some, I believe there's some U S based, uh, manufacturing as well. Maybe not, but what, what is the biggest challenge for you guys? Um, the pipeline length is a little bit of a challenge. Um, uh, you know, when I started, we were shipping rods in via air and, uh, Air shipments are more expensive. Um, they charge a dimensional weight, which is much greater than the, the weight of the package. Yet, um, it was consistent with you know my desire to turn inventory. I mean, practice what you preach, right? Uh, the um, as we've grown, we bring in more by ocean, and ocean takes oh four to six weeks. So, uh, production takes 90 days from the time we place a, an estimate or an order. Uh, the first 30 of which is arranging for all the components, materials, guides, reel seats, carbon fiber, you name it. And as that comes in, um, second month is basically building blanks third month is finishing rods. That's not a start stop process. It's an, it's an ongoing role. So we give the factory order instructions every month and we get a shipment every month. Um, but when everybody tapped the brakes back in February and March, um, you know, we, we didn't tap the brakes, but we let off the accelerator. <laughs> and, you know, when April happened and the world demand just went crazy, uh, yeah. you know, dealers had been closed. Uh, you know, it was, it was ugly. Um, we have been running out of stock much to my chagrin, um, huh. since July. Uh, yep. Uh, see. And as I said, there were some rod factories that closed down production. Uh, thankfully, we never did, but there was no way you could anticipate the demand growth after after things started to open up. And, um, you know, there are statistics I've read on the um, hunting fishing license sales. I think Colorado was up 18%, and Larry Dahlberg told me that Minnesota was up 43%. Jeez. Um, so we're, we're in a good game, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. You and I get it cause we've done it, but people who haven't done it can go outside and do something. And, um, if they don't get too frustrated with casting and catching part, uh, yeah. we'll have them a long time. 
That's right. No, you guys have been, you guys had a good run. I'm, you know, I want to touch on just briefly, um, you know, where you guys are headed. You mentioned this at the start, uh, you know, but basically you guys have done some great stuff here. You've got this rod line. I mean, where is TFO headed? I mean, do you, you know, if you say, if you're looking out the next five, 10 years or so, are we going to see more of the, more of the same or do you, do you change it up a little bit? Well, over the last 10 years, um, early on, as I said, fly rods weren't that important to us, but I've realized it to be important to a rep as an old time commission salesman. Um, you had to have a book big enough to let them make some money on it. So they'd show your stuff. So we added in the earlier years, a lot of distributed items, you know, things that I know and like and fish with and people that I know and like, and you know, the, the evolution has been more fly rod and reel focused, uh, and conventional rod focused. Um, we have a pretty big array of conventional rods and that's very, very different market. Um, huh. still, uh, advertising influenced more than fly fishing, which is really word of mouth influenced. Um, but I, you know, things that we've, we've seen recently is, Besides all this rediscovery of the outdoors by uh, new license sales, um, you know, I, I think the futures, it's, it's interesting. I mean, when I started, Al Gore had not invented the Internet. <laughs> and, you know, initially, I'm sure, as you remember, you know, we would search every fly fishing conversation board uh, forum that that uh that websites had and you know you had these large and very fragmented communities of anglers uh lots of insiders posting and people that didn't know what they were talking about posting and yeah. the the evolution of that and this rings to what you do is it's becoming more communal and um more specific in terms of you know, what, what kind of help someone can get? Well, I, I want to fish smallmouth. I want to fish steelhead. I want to fish trout. I want to fish tarpon. There are, there are now literally families of people that, that, that share willingness. Uh, they may not share locations, no hot spotting, but, no. but techniques, tactics, gear, and, um, they're not afraid to promote something based on what they like. And, um, uh, you know, again, right. considering all of them consumers, you know, our mission is to make damn sure we keep everybody that's a consumer as happy as we can. Um, yeah. And pricing it the way we did when we started, we can afford to do that. So I expect that to cool. continue. Um, yeah. One of the big changes that's happening is, you know, we were the first uh, company to support Project Healing Waters, Ed Nicholson. And did it by loaning him rods to take people out of Walter Reed and teach him to fly cast and teach him to tie flies. And then they started doing outings and we were loaning them rods. So, um, it was at Somerset. Um, what year was that? Probably 2012 or 13. Mm -hmm. and, uh, Ed and two of the, uh, officers came into the booth to thank us. And why don't we make a, Project Healing Waters, a couple of fly rods, and, you know, we'll, we'll give you the whole profit margin on them. 
And um, I think in-kind donations to Project Healing Waters from TFO is around $400,000 wow. in the last 10 years. Um, huh. That that was really gratifying. And, you know, A, helping the vets, and B, you know, getting more rods out there in, in people's hands. And, and we did the same thing for casting for recovery, uh, real recovery. Heroes on the Water, which is a kayak wounded veteran yep. conventional fishing program. And apparently the uh, at some level of government, um, the cause marketing approach has been really curtailed. Um, donation issues that were pledged and never happened and you know, flag waving that, that, you know, created affiliations that never really existed. Um, so we have yeah. danced between the raindrops and now are implementing a system where we, uh, we accept, uh, direct orders from consumers that come to us from project healing waters. And, uh, we ship direct and pay the program a commission. So it's, hmm. it's different than what it used to be, but apparently it, it passes the smell test. Um, the other interesting thing about, you know, community, I mean, the name of your, of your blog is, is it, you know, what flies swing. I mean, when I first saw it a few times and looked at it, it, you know, it's, it's spay fishing, right? It's, uh, <laughs> um, you know, or, or, you know, some kind yep. of, high stick nymphing or something. Well, um, these communities get very specific in terms of SKUs, unlike a dealer where you would walk in and they'd have an array of TFOs and you talk to somebody who may know nothing about tarpon, but may know a lot about trout or may know nothing about trout and a lot about tarpon. You know, you got the best information you could face to face for the most part. And boy, that is rapidly changing. Uh, and kudos to you. I mean, you, you build these communities and they're not interested in finesse series. They're interested in tarpon sticks or blue water rods yeah. or, you know, something different striper rods. Um, there are things evolving towards affiliate programs where you allow a dealer to be, uh, an affiliate so that they can offer a selection of your rods appropriate to their community. That makes sense. Oh yeah. Yeah. Basically you get a, you pay, you find a company that will um, give you a commission if you sell uh, their, you know, basically your products, right? Yeah. And, and, you know, early on all of the early on websites that were selling everything from pencils to diapers to fishing poles, um, you know, they came to us in hordes in the early 2000s, you know, we want you to drop ship and we want to, we only want 10%. Well, you know, loyalty to brick and mortar was always the, the creed of the fly rod industry. And, you know, cause there's, there's a lot of touching and feeling that's got to go on. Uh, if you're making your own decision, you need to pick things up, at least wiggle them and look at them and hear from the dealer some ideas and thoughts and alternatives. Um, but the online help community 
phenomena is really taken over. And uh, hmm. I'm not sure what we'll do, but 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 I expect there will be some affiliate uh, concessions made in the future. Um, as far as rods, we're working on uh, 2022 right now. We've got our uh, uh, three small families coming out this fall that uh, I won't bore you with the details, but, but they're, but they're really cool. Once again, mm -hmm. um, action changes, not so much. I mean, a BBK is still a wonderful action. Um, mm -hmm. A BBK with our proprietary Kevlar application where you, um, and I'm a salesman, I'm not a, an engineer, <laughs> but you, yeah. you take a flag pattern and you cut it in line in half roughly and roll the first half of the blank, take it off, put it on a braiding machine and put a double helix of Kevlar roving um, down on that uncured carbon fiber resin impregnated base material. Then you roll the other half and the great tensile strength of, of Kevlar, um, horrible compression strength which is why it never worked on the inside of the outside of a rod. Um, it, it helps control ovaling uh, to the point that you have a much greater range of power. Uh, doesn't necessarily have to be fast, doesn't have to be uh, real stiff in the butt, but it, it, it damps incredibly well, um, doesn't add any weight. And, you know, we have progressed with that, that technology now to the uh, A2 and the A2X, Axiom 2, Axiom 2X. Um, and it will be prominently featured in what we introduce in, uh, I believe, tentative dates October. Um, I know there have been a few little press release things going on that, that Nick Conklin has done, but uh, I don't know how much is on our website about them. But, uh, um, it's, it's a magical process that uh, we patented in Asia and the labor cost here would be off the charts. So um, hmm. pretty much have it exclusively ourselves. And uh, that's been exciting. So uh, uh -huh. anyway, lighter, stronger. Uh, it, it, it's all part of that mix and, you take an action that everybody loved. It was really popular. You know, we track every break, we track every sale, of course. And, uh, you know, it's not hard to tell what's, what's doing great. And usually as a result of a little bit of an investigation, it's not too hard to tell why. Uh, yeah. Uh, but we have great pockets of support with dealers and consumers up and down the Atlantic coast in Florida, of course, in Texas, not that we have a whole bunch of fly fishing opportunity, but that's our backyard, uh, mm -hmm. uh, California Delta. And it's growing in the, in the saltwater, um, uh, offshore category. Rob Fordyce helped us to design a series of five or six rods that range from a 15 pound stand up to a 50 pound boat rod and uh the one thing we've learned uh, 
rods are great and consumers love them. But the guys that buy the uh, six figure offshore boats, you know what? They want their name on them. They want their boat logo. They want special stuff. So we're kind of looking at, at some type of limited custom finish capacity uh, in Dallas. That's kind of a, a strategic possibility. And that's in the fly fishing or is that in gen- the general fishing rod? It would be both. Um, you know, say you've got a lodge in Alaska. Well, you know, they'd come to us and buy lodge rods, right? Yeah. Which you pretty much know are all going to break, <laughs> but they get them yeah. back quick. Um, but to be able to put um, custom names, custom logos, that kind of thing, um, you know, I'm talking basic finish out. I don't know if it'll involve uh, all the guide systems and real seats and all that stuff. I don't yeah. see us dipping our toe in the water, not jumping in. Yeah, gotcha. Gotcha. No, that's a great answer. I mean, you take it back to the original question of, you know, where you guys are headed. And I love how you started off uh, talking about community because I, I believe, you know, that's the reason that we've been successful with the podcast is that it's always been really, we started with a single person, you know, every episode, I always, I know there's thousands of people that are listening to this, but I always try to think of one person, you know, like right now we're, how can I help one person yep. with what well, we're that's, talking that's about? You know, and, we both, we both share and um, I would say you're uh, for a myriad of reasons, not the least of which is you've done a good job. Your timing has been immaculate. Um, yep. you know, there's more, more people online, more people trying to learn exact specific techniques, and where, how, and why stuff. Um, so it's a big help, big help to the industry. And now a quick word from our sponsor. Here you go. FTJ Angler has a great fall edition that's out right now. You can find Lucas Stevens who visits Winston Fly Rods in the uh, fall edition for an insider look at and a rare interview with writer Ted Leeson, someone I hope to have on the podcast soon. Patrick Wall pays homage to Harry Lemire's tied in hand Atlantic salmon flies displayed in the Marguerite Salmon Museum. Boots Allen takes us to the pond with a masterclass in Stillwater. Dennis Dobble travels to Scotland in search of Atlantic salmon. Plus, FTJ Deputy Editor Henry Hughes with a mysterious fly fishing story and Nora Etsy with her poem, No Business, which I actually tried to read unsuccessfully a few podcasts ago. I'm not sure if you remember hearing that. So um, I'd love it if you could press pause right now, head over to ftjangler.com and subscribe so you get the next issue delivered right to your inbox. That's ftjangler.com. SoFlyGear.com, led by Chief Apparel Guru and U.S. Youth Fly Fishing All-Star James Carlin, has a clothing line you're going to love. SoFly's mission to produce clothes that look good, perform well, can be worn on and off the water, and most importantly, are manufactured under rigorously sustainable methods. How do they do it? Bamboo, in a single word, a fabric that is buttery soft to the touch, durable, sun-resistant, and embossed with original designs and artwork. I've been wearing the SoFly hoodie on my last couple of uh, steelhead trips, and it's been a game changer. Whether hot or cold, wet or dry, I've been uh, feeling perfect in pretty much all conditions. I just I t- haven't taken this thing off. I mean, it's been, it's been pretty awesome. So totally support SoFly here. If you're ready to up your apparel game, 
with this uh, lifestyle fly fishing gear uh, brand, head over to SoFlyGear.com. That's S-O-F-L-Y gear.com to get started today. And like I said, I've been loving it. So uh, pick up a hoodie and you'll be like me and you'll be good to go. Okay, back to the show. Yeah, no, it's been a lot of fun. I've, uh, you mentioned Flip Pallet. I, I interviewed him way back a couple of years ago and I, I, I didn't get Lefty on, you know, Miss Lefty. That was a big disappointment, but I've had uh, Joan Wolf on. That was a big high point for oh, me. Oh yeah, she's um, a wonderful lady. In episode, <laughs> episode 100, you know I mean? So I love the stories. You know, I really love talking the stories and the tips and tricks. And I mean, you know, we're digging here into here and we're really getting a feel for TFO and, and how you've been successful. Um, and it sounds like you've created a great product and you know about, you know, building a community, which is big. Um, I mean, what else, what else makes TFO, uh, you know, stand out out there? Is there anything else that you think of on a daily basis that, that's allowed you guys to be so successful? You know, I would say the rods are great, but there are a lot of great rods. Um, it's been more customer service and relationship direct with consumers that, you know, have made us stand out, I think. Uh, yeah. You know, the answer is always yes. Now, how can we figure out how to get this done? Um, I think taking care of consumers, again, going back to our formative years, dealers were not cool with the idea of selling inexpensive rods. Uh, consumers were way cool with the idea. <laughs> and, um, you know, instead of having one one rod that you can do theoretically everything with, say it's a six weight, well, you can do a lot with a six weight. But you can do a lot more with a four, five, and an eight, and a nine, and a, and maybe a twelve. You know, um, mm -hmm. three or four for the price of one. Pretty compelling <laughs> argument. And if people feel like they're being taken well care of, as opposed to, you know, fleeced, as it were, with uh, infomercial stuff, um, and they'll come back. Um, and you always ask them to tell their friends, and they do. And yeah, that's not a, that's awesome. That's not a quick growth path. Uh, no, but it's very solid. And, uh, you know what I see Rick in it? I see, and in my example in connecting with you and your, and, uh, and do you hear, do you hear me? Okay. Still? Sure. Yeah. Um, I hear that bird in the background. What do you got there? Uh, mountain wrens, painted bunnings. We got, uh, cardinals we got buzzards turkeys i'm on the porch yep. down in the pasture this morning there were 13 pigs and eight deer <laughs> sounds like you're in a you're in a pretty amazing place it is an amazing place my favorite place in the world in the hill country that's cool that's cool well i want to touch on that there's something unique and i can tell you just by connecting with you and some of your staff you know i've been talking to brad um uh, you know a little bit and you know, and I've talked to all, all many companies, right, in the industry now that I've connected with so many people. And some of them, you know, and everybody gets drilled by spam and all sorts of stuff or whatever. But some of them are really good at getting back and some are not so good. I mean, you made it really easy for me and, and, and it felt comfortable when we connected. Good. And um, you know what I mean? And like, and there's some, and you're no different than like these other companies out there where some don't even give you the time of day. And I, and I wonder, what is it about, how do you do it? First, you must get a lot of uh, people inquiring and all that. How do you, how do you make time for like this podcast and other stuff where it seems like you're really customer focused? Um, 
you know, I'm chairman and not the day-to-day guy anymore. Frank Paul King is our president. And, and uh, it, it took a lot of pressure off of me. Um, I moved down to the ranch permanently from Dallas and was leasing a place in Dallas starting three years ago. And by the time Christmas went by, uh, COVID-19, you know, most of our office, you know, the, the girls in the office and the guys in the warehouse, pretty much warehouse every day. Uh, the sales team and product category managers, pretty much all remote. Brad, pretty much all remote. Yeah. And, you know, they're in my new iPad that i got to figure out how to use. But <laughs> the, um, the ability to stay in touch. You know, when you're sitting in an office in Dallas, answering emails and phone calls, people don't know where the hell you are and no. really don't care as long as they get taken care of. Uh, yeah. You know, there are lots of things I can do from sharing opinions and advice and always charge what my advice is worth. Nothing. But uh, the reality is, I think, um, you know, another this is a sea change for the industry and a lot of industry. Uh, my daughter works for Sandia Labs in in New Mexico, Albuquerque, and they've gone almost exclusively to a, a work from home environment. Uh, mm-hmm. And I don't know if that's ever going to change back. Uh, no, you know, I certainly like getting up daylight in the morning and looking for pigs and deer. Uh, we're on the east side of Lake Buchanan, northwest of Austin, about 50 miles. And I get to see the whole lake, and it's, it's wonderful. Oh, wow. How do, you, how do you spell that, but with a B? B-U-C-H-A-N-A-N, Lake okay. Buchanan. Oh, Buchanan. Yeah, yeah. Gotcha. That's cool. That's uh, Well, and, and that makes sense. Yeah, and I agree. I think that the more we do this and more the infrastructure gets in place and people realize, wow, I, I, you know, a zoom call, I don't have to actually drive anywhere. I mean, you're saving, you're saving on a lot, right. Including the planet, <laughs> the less, the less we drive. So that, that's a good thing as well. Um, you mentioned direct versus direct to market versus indirect. And I mean, when you guys started out, were you doing things a little differently? And you mentioned how people thought that was a little bit different. What was the take on that when you first came in? Were you selling direct to consumers back then? We did uh, our first, uh, which was what, 23 years ago, our first Somerset, New Jersey show. You've probably been there, right? No, I haven't been to that. No, I haven't yet. Well, it's a, it's somewhere between a flea market and a, you know, 12,000 attendees and it's huge. Um, and usually around Super Bowl weekend. So weather and people have cabin fevered up and I uh, had a guy in New England that wanted to be our rep up there just because he had seen some of our rods from a guide and cast them and price and everything and he said but in order to do it I've got to we got to have a booth at Somerset we don't have any dealers in Somerset or in in New England Uh, I said okay one condition I'll take a box of each five, six, and eight weight rod. We'll put up our 10 by 10 booth and we're going to sell them at full retail, which of course pissed dealers off dramatically or potential dealers off dramatically. But we sold out of 150 rods by Saturday morning. 
and you know, word kind of gets out and those people tell their friends and week later we had four dealers in the new England area. And, uh, you know, feeding people what they want to eat is a, is a big, big part of it. I, you know, kind of circle back to that again. Um, you know, they want affordable, high performance, which was our first tagline. And, you know, if you can give it to them and make them happy and keep them happy, and they'll be your friend. And yeah. uh, that was the only time we ever did direct sales. I mean, yeah, it seemed like you guys got the ball rolling and it, it happened pretty quick back in the 90s. And got did it feel like to you like it got rolling pretty quick? Well, the, 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 real, the real epiphany was Reddington kind of hitting the stump and, uh, and Lefty joining us. Uh, yeah. Reddington's lack of ability to – had nothing to do with brand – had to do with their lack of ability to deliver. And, uh, of course, Lefty gave us an intimidating amount of, of credibility. Uh, you know, I grew to love that guy and 15 years he worked with us and, uh, best of friends, uh, talk about anything, anytime, anywhere. I've heard a couple of good lefty Cray stories over the years. Do, do you have uh, one, any that come to mind? Uh, you know, I, well, the one I'll tell you this, you know, Flip as well. The one Flip told me it blew me away, but it's when Flip's house, you know, got destroyed by the hurricane and, and Lefty sent him like a package of, or dropped him off. He went down there and dropped him off like 40 grand. A sack of cash. Yes. Yep. A sack of cash. Is that, is that the greatest lefty story or is, are there others? Uh, other others there there are tons of them um yeah one of my favorites was he was going in for another stint this is about three four years ago and i i'm telling him well lefty you've had them done it's not that painful there's really no risk no damage he said oh no i'm, I'm not worried about it he said the most painful part is they ripped that damn tape off from down there <laughs> He called me the next morning before he goes into the hospital. And he said, I'm a pretty creative guy. I stripped down and got a mirror down on the floor, foot up on the toilet, and I shaved down there. <laughs> Damn, Lefty, that's a great idea. And he's in recovery after surgery. And um, he, he asked the nurse what she thought about him shaving down there. And she said, Mr. Cray, you did a great job. You just shaved the wrong side. <laughs> <laughs> So nice. Lefty says, now I got a damn mohawk down there. <laughs> One of my favorite Lefty stories. But I, you know, That's awesome. there are so many that I don't, that one may be a little bit beyond the stretch of what you want to hear about Lefty. But No, it's good. But he's a pure, I like to hear he, you know, he was a pure hearted guy. I mean, married his high school sweetheart. Hmm. Uh, fought in the Battle of the Bulge. I mean, I, you know, I could go wow. on and on and on. He, no kidding. Uh, one of the most humble, engaging guys ever. Um, one more good one. He was fishing with somebody, I forget who, in, uh, in Wyoming near Yellowstone. And President Carter was out there, president at the time. And he was having a big cocktail party with orders and all this stuff. And he heard about Lefty being in town and he wanted him to come to the party. Lefty said, well, I can't. I don't have any suit. I don't, you know, I, I got fishing clothes. Uh, president Carter said, any way you want to come would be fine. 
So Lefty gets there, and and you probably have heard about his somewhat weird eating habits, right? <laughs> it had to be burned, not cooked. Uh, you know, he didn't like most of the stuff that people like. And you go to a cocktail party, and people all dressed up, these white waiter tops, and carrying these plates of food around. It looks like fish bait, you know. I, I can't eat. So he goes into the kitchen and asks if they have any peanut butter. Well, of course they do. And he goes out on the balcony with uh, crackers and peanut butter. And President Carter comes out and joins him to eat crackers and peanut butter. No way. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, Jimmy Carter, he was a, he's one of the big fly fishermen, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and both uh, George H. and George W. were. Big fisher. Oh, were they? Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. And uh, yeah, I guess I knew W. I didn't know H was as well. That's that's interesting. Um, okay. And and I and I think well, Obama. I don't think was a fisherman. I think he tried it a couple times. I heard a couple stories about him out there doing. Yeah, something like that. I, I didn't. I got to see a little video clip of him, and he didn't quite get the casting part. But no, you know, God bless him for no. trying. Um, yeah, that's right. He's got a better jump shot than a, than a cast. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, anyway, Lefty, I wouldn't trade that 15 year period for anything. And the, to cap it off was the two year program that we did with Ed and lefty Ed way far and away, the most technically accomplished caster I've ever known. And Ed is who, who is Ed Jabarowski. Oh yeah. So he had been working on this uh, critical angle theory of, of, of casting and, uh, doing a, uh, PowerPoint. Uh, and every time we'd get together, he'd want to show me, here's where we are now. And he was doing it for program for, you know, clubs and whatnot. And he finally got to the end of it, to the point that, yeah, I don't know what else, else to do. So I got an idea. Why don't we get lefty and you and kind of do an ESPN sit on either side of a screen, you know, like they're diagramming football plays and you guys analyze cast lefty being a very, <laughs> simplistic approach and Ed being a very technical approach, I think it'd be fun. Well, Lefty was all in, but he said, we got to do some fishing too. So we did bass in Texas, redfish in Louisiana, pike in Manitoba and trout wow. on uh, the Beck's private water, which is phenomenal. And uh, it, it was a two year process. And uh, when it was finally over and all the editing was done, Lefty said, damn, I wish we had something else to do. <laughs> it, it was, <laughs> it was to sit and watch these guys discuss. And I would say debate at times, um, yeah. certain terms and, you know, it was deep into the how and why. And, and lefty was more about the what, uh, fascinating. Uh -huh. And they, they were the closest of friends. I mean, uh, Ed started taking casting lessons from a lefty back when he was at uh, Villanova, chair of the uh, ancient studies department, uh, mm -hmm. classical studies department. And he uh, was single through most of that time, too. And he he goes to lefty to get a casting lesson and he wants to work on his back cast. And lefty said, I don't hear from Ed for like two or three months. And Ed had come back to Lefty for another lesson. 
I wanted to critique on his back cast. And uh, obviously anything that's not perfectly straight in your back cast is a source of slack, right? Mm-hmm. Well, he had done 10,000 back casts in practice in the street in front of his apartment uh, in Philly. And, uh, <laughs> you know, could lay a, a line down and lay another line right on top of it, you know, at 70, 80 feet. And Lefty says, damn, Ed, I think you got it. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So, yeah, you you mentioned um, getting out and fishing, all, all this. I mean, it's interesting because I've done a lot of interviews here where I've talked to some, you know, new founders, old founders. And we kind of joke about it, but they say that, like, don't get into fishing. Don't start a company of fishing because you'll do less fly fishing. Do, have you found yourself doing a lot of fly fishing or did TFO make it harder? Um, it made the, uh, of course, we don't have any kind of local access here. Um, oh, right. What I ended up evolving to was taking two trips a year, you know, Brazil, Bahamas, you know, it, mm-hmm. it, wonderful trips, but pretty much places where you get away from the cell phone and you're gone for a week to 10 days. Um, frequency went down, but quality of trips went way up. Yeah. That's a, yeah. And you're obviously fishing with the lefty and uh, you know, <laughs> all these other, and I've heard some stories about you. Yeah. Flip. I know you've, you, you've had a long connection and switching between the ranch and, and actually I want to make a, you know, we're talking about the community. I, we have a little bit of a, a community on uh, our Facebook uh, group and, um, I occasionally go in and ask questions and I say, Hey, I got, uh, you know, somebody coming on and I mentioned that you're coming on. I got a ton of feedback from people that just, you know, I can't tell you how many people just gave you great, you know, just positive uh, words for, for you and your company. But one of the guys, um, uh, Bud, Bud Christ, uh, mentioned that, uh, he, he said he wanted me to ask you about the, uh, cosmic cowboys. Uh, ski oh, shooting. wow. <laughs> and, and I, so I don't know anything about it, but can you tell us about, it sounds like you're a little bit of a, some, a hunter on the site. Can you talk about what co- cosmic cowboys and maybe that side of what you do? Cosmic cowboys was the name of our five man skeet team that was, single club and state eligible. Um, and through later part of high school, I started shooting and made a couple of junior all America teams and, and then, um, worked in the summertime, went to UT and didn't shoot for a couple of seasons. And Trinity university had a, uh, uh, it's not NCAA, it's ACUI. Uh, mm-hmm. affiliated shooting program and um, they begged me and begged my dad and I finally you know UT cost I think three dollars a semester hour and Trinity was like 200 Jeez. so I couldn't do that well dad helped and I got all kinds of jobs and grants and taught the skeet class twice a week and uh, and started shooting again and it pretty much became my exclusive passion uh, I'd fish and hunt in the wintertime, but the skeet season was pretty much the big shoots happened April through, um, August at the time world shoot. Um, but we had every five man team record on the books. Um, when we quit, um, <laughs> I captained the all America team three years in a row. Four of our five team members are now in the hall of fame, skeet shooting hall of fame. Uh, wow, you know, quite an honor, but you know, when you're in college, pretty well focused, if you're not 
chasing girls or partying, you know, we were shooting yep. and it, it was, um, hundreds of thousands of rounds, lots of misses in the first couple of truckloads of shotgun shells. Say that. Yeah. Wow. So skeet. And what is, I mean, take us to a, just briefly a, a skeet event. So do you, you're out there and it, and you're just, uh, how does that work for somebody who hasn't been to that? Is it- well, the skeet field is a semicircle. Um, with a high house and a low house that throw targets um, 21 yards to the center of the field from each station. And um, you know exactly where they're going to come from. They're going to come, hopefully, exactly when you call for them. And, you know, somebody once compared it to trying to make 118-inch putts in a row. Uh. But it's it's a game of simple-mindedness. Don't outthink yourself. Don't think ahead of yourself. Just you know, one target at a time. And, um, if you're simple minded enough, like me, you get pretty good at it. But yeah, the, the, the team that we had was incredible. And, uh, That's amazing. we went to the 50th, uh, hall of fame anniversary. Uh, I think it was back in October, uh, in San Antonio, at the world shoot headquarters. And it was fun to see a lot of old friends and some of my old mm. friends are still shooting. God bless them. No kidding. Yeah. Can you apply that pretty well? I've done a little bit of bird hunting, but if you're a excellent skeet shooter, are you also a pretty much excellent bird hunter? Um, not necessarily. Um, yeah. And excellent bird hunters aren't necessarily good at skeet. Um, that's true. I was just thinking, you know, if I, I always, I, you know, I haven't done much skeet, but thinking about tips wise, what, what would, what would you give somebody if they are a bird hunter, a tip for shooting? Is there one tip you'd throw out there? The biggest mistake people make at either live birds or clay targets is letting their focus drift back to the end of the barrel. Uh, All right. Trying to double check accuracy, right? Well, yep. it's not accuracy. It's swing. Uh, patterns yeah. are generous, even with a 410. Um, Movement, not so generous. Uh, yep. You know, there's there's lock time between when you see a sight picture you like and your brain tells your trigger finger to pull the trigger. And then, the, you know, the sear's got to release and the hammer's got to fall and the primer's going off. And then the, and all that stuff happens quickly, but your brain only remembers seeing a good sight picture. And what's important is to see a good sight picture after all the smoke clears and the recall happens, right? Mm. Um, yep. So it, 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 it's a movement thing. And keeping your eye on the target, as, or eyes, as it were, um, helps sustain that. When you look down towards the end of the barrel, um, you lose sight of the target, and your gun's going to slow or stop or do something unbecoming. And again, your brain thinks, damn it look good you know yeah and your friend says oh right. you were behind it well you know he doesn't know um this is kind of a, a jaworowski analysis he doesn't realize that you stopped your gun he just knows that your shot screen went behind the target so he started adding yeah. lead and it it compounds itself uh, oh right right there you go i think that's, going that's back good. to adam and eve your your eyes are really strange you you look at something towards infinity right and your your line of sight in each eye is pretty much parallel as you cross your eyes to something close 
um, you can do that almost instantly there in the Adam and Eve theory, right? You see a snake. Oh my God. Well, <laughs> once you've, once you've crossed that perilous path of looking at the barrel, you're never going to get it back. It, it takes no time for your eyes to cross. It takes a meaningful amount of time for them to go back to parallel to infinity. Um, I would say two yeah. biggest tips right there. That's good. No, those are awesome uh, for any of the hunters out there. I know there are, there's a lot of crossover fly fishing and, and bird hunting, it seems like. Oh, yeah. Out there, so, yeah. so that's good. I, I haven't done as much bird hunting since I've had my first, uh, you know, my kid of, a number of years ago. But uh, I wanted to touch on the uh, the gear versus fly piece because I think, was it back in 2009 when you guys were fly only and then you brought in the gear? Is that how it worked? We started with playing, uh, playing with gear. You know, I've, I love fly fishing, but his lefty once told me when he turned around in the boat, we were not doing much good with the fly anymore and late in the morning in East Texas. Did you bring one of those damn spinning rods? Lefty, you're a, you're <laughs> a fly guy, you know? He's hell, I just want to catch fish. I don't care what we That's catch. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. And, you know, I'm kind of the same way. I, I, I do most things in shallower water with fly and if I'm going to fish deep or something, or you're going to fish Texas coast in the wind, you better have a, a spinning rod or casting rod with you. Um, so we started prototyping uh, three-piece rods, which I thought was brilliant and totally rejected mm -hmm. by the market. And uh, No kidding. Um, good friend and advisory staff uh, who works with us on our blue water rods, Jake Jordan, kind of introduced me to Gary Loomis. I mean, I had met him over the years and, you know, considered him a friend, but we had a pretty serious, um, rod design conversation, um, at one of the shows. And I don't remember if it's Denver or Salt Lake 2009, I think. And, um, he's playing with our rods and shaking his head and doing the old tisk tisk thing. And, um, you know, I've got several old Loomis bass rods real fast, stiff in the butt, soft tip. Um, I convinced him to help us design our first family of, uh, uh conventional rods, gear rods. And, hmm. you know, that was, uh, that lasted until he decided he had this little factory behind his house and, uh, edge rods. And oh, yeah. they started building rods sure. and selling them direct and, I felt that was a little too much of a conflict. I still talk to him. We're great friends. Um, yeah. Wish him all the best. But he kind of got us going down a path of, you know, more lunacy like actions and uh, mm -hmm. wonderful blanks. Uh, one piece rods are a real pain in the ass. Warranty's a pain in the ass. Uh, shipping's a pain. Domestic shipping's a pain. Uh, pretty much have to do them all by container which gets back mm -hmm. to that four to six week delay. Um, mm -hmm. But we've done and currently offer and have experimented with all kinds of specialty rods. We did a musky series for Larry Dahlberg. Uh, we've got Rob's Sea Hunter series. Uh, you know, we've, we've got um, bass rods that range from a hundred bucks to about 175, 180. Um, our notable advisory staff member, Cliff Pace won the 2013 Bassmaster Classic. Uh, 
And um, an interesting evolution in, in conventional rods is braid has kind of become almost dominant for most people fishing conventional. And it's wonderful stuff, but it doesn't stretch. And, you know, Cliff came up with this several years ago. You know, he'll go out testing a new rod and he's got a pretty good sized lake there where he lives in Petal, Mississippi. And he would time himself on how long it took to land a hundred bass and count drop-offs. And well, he figured out that mono with 10% stretch will allow you to fish a lot faster action rod and, and still provide some shock absorber when a, a fish gets in the air, right? Braid does not. And so we had to moderate some of the actions a little bit to put more of the monofilament stretch into the action of the rod so you could fish braid. And, you know, it's, it's fascinating. Those guys yeah. are in their own league uh, in terms of, you know, fish knowledge and, and to a degree equipment knowledge. But I think I... I don't mean this in a disparaging way, but, you know, you can pretty much go buy any of them. Um, you know, it's just price and they'll fish your rods. Um, huh. I don't know that that's a good investment. Uh, Cliff was a lot more interested, much like Lefty. He was interested in working with us, not for us. And, uh, yeah, you know, he's become a good friend. He even comes to Texas and deer hunts with a boat. Um, and that's cliff who is that uh, cliff pace oh yeah yeah flip gotcha. flip of course has been coming here since i don't know yeah a long time 83 84 uh yeah he's missed two or three years but we've uh we've had a lot of fun together and shared a lot of good whiskey and conversation <laughs> that's right yeah flips the uh Flip's the guy where the, uh, yeah, fishing is his, his business, but hunting is really his passion, right? I learned that very on. Yeah, he, he was um, bone fishing down in the, in the Keys, and we'd go out and fish, fish for redfish, fish for bonefish, tarpon. And um, late in his guiding career, he didn't want to go out on the weekends because people would follow him. Um, <laughs> pretty funny, but... Yeah. He was introduced to uh, my good friend I mentioned earlier, Ken Wellams, who is a world cast, uh, world class fly caster, steelhead caster. Um, he wanted to go to the saltwater, and I, yeah, I'll go. And had a trip set up for August, and I ended up changing careers and leaving my bank and going to work at Lehman Brothers in New York, and I couldn't go and. He called me after the trip. He said, it absolutely is an incredible environment. I just loved it. But the guide chewed my ass out nonstop. And I'm going to call my friend Lefty and see if he's got a name of a better guide. Turned out mm -hmm. to be Flip. So nice. That next year, uh, Ken and I fished with Flip for the first time. And uh, it didn't take too long before hunting conversations started to supersede the the fly fishing conversations but uh, yeah flip's been a close friend for many many years and That's you know fun. he's he's still out there doing his thing um 
yeah. Rob has kind of become his understudy and was his understudy early on. Um, he, uh, huh. lost his scholarship to the university of Tennessee and moved back to Florida. And he, I think he was a baseball catcher at, at uh, at, at UT. And he, um, started working with flip, taking extras mm-hmm. and learning and pretty well got it figured out. Yeah. I'll put a link uh, in the show notes to the episode I had with Flip. It he blew me away when he told me that story. I mentioned it earlier about his uh, house getting blown away. He described how he was in it while the hurricane um, came through, and they barely survived. So he he told that story, which was just crazy. Yeah, I think the year before or two years before, um, actually went down and fished with Flip and stayed at his house, and it was new and really nice homestead. You know, just yep. awesome. Not not enough to stand up to the wind. Yeah, yeah. All right, Rick. Well, hey, uh, as I take it out of here, you, you know, you've we've talked a lot a lot of different things about TFO. I think we have a good feel. Um, you know, it, it seems to me it keeps coming back to families, you know, relationships. And you mentioned how back with um, you know Lefty in some of those early times, you guys never talked about money. And I I think about it because I think you know finding a good fit, right? I mean, we're all obviously connecting with people and, and business is a, a critical piece. What sort of advice would you have to somebody who maybe is out there trying to connect with some of these companies, maybe you guys or whatever, trying to build a, you know, a relationship, maybe a business opportunity. What, what advice would you give to that, that company or that person? Uh, trying to build a business relationship. Um, yeah. Maybe, you know, like you said, it sounds like, you know, early on you guys didn't talk a lot about money, but for example, like right now I'm reaching out and, um, we're, we're setting up sponsors for 2021 and you know, I find myself writing emails, right. And the same thing where it's like, um, you know, obviously I want to show the value that I, that I can provide and, and that sort of thing, but any other tips you'd give somebody that's trying to connect there? Well, you know, become part of a community and help teach people, um, you know, the elevation of one status in the industry is how much help you give and how many people you give it to. Uh, mm-hmm. the platform within which it's given again, goes back to the community approach to your website and others. Um, uh, you know, the best, the best information you can get is where you can find the most authorities on it and, you know, unbiased, clear, clean opinions, uh, whether it be on casting or whether it be on, you know, rod selection or fly selection. So, um, yeah. learn as much as you can help people as much as you can. Everybody wins. That's awesome. That's awesome. All right, Rick. Uh, so, uh, in the next, uh, you know, six or six months to a year, anything new we can expect from TFO you want to give a shout out to? Well, the new fly rod family again should be, uh, landing in Dallas sometime late October. Um, mm-hmm. all the advisory staff is real excited about them. You know, I cast some prototypes early on and, finally called the warehouse and said, look, you got any, you know, approved samples, you know, let me at least cast fives and eights. And so I can talk somewhat more intelligently about what I think of the rods. And, uh, just because they're new doesn't mean they're better. Uh, no, been lots of companies that have, have discontinued something that everybody liked and introduced something that very few people liked. And, uh, it's it's kind of a sad path to go down because when you discontinue and reintroduce, you force dealers to discount yep. inventory and 
now consumers exactly. don't feel like they're, you know, their cars a year old and it's not, it's not the newest and latest and greatest. And I don't know, it, it's, it's been tough. It's interesting to watch other people and how they approach the business. We have never taken the approach because I don't think we've ever had the strength to, you know, to, to, to cram down a new family. That's nothing more than just a cosmetics change. We've talked about that a few times on here with people and, uh, you know, so people have noted that some some companies have to, or it seems like every year they come out with something new. But you know, it turns out that you know, why come out with something new if if your old line is working fine? It sounds like you know that that's kind of how you guys are on the same path. Do you, do you find that you know you, that's kind of where you guys stick? That you, you you don't have something new every maybe it's more every five years or so. Anytime we feel like we can raise the bar performance, um, know that we're trying really hard to do so. Gotcha. Okay, Rick, well, I just wanted to, uh, let's see, I guess tforods.com if they want to connect with you or they can shoot you an email at uh, rick at tforods. Yes, sir. That'll work. Either one. All right, Rick, hey, I appreciate you taking the time today. This has been awesome. You know, it's been a deep dive for me because, like I said, I remember back uh, I was part of a little shop when I was a kid, and I remember when TFO came in, and, you know, it was a game changer because it, it put, a like you said, a reasonable price rod in the hands of everybody. And I wanted to thank you for that and all the good work and, uh, you know, everything you've done in fly fishing. So uh, just appreciate you. Dave, great to talk to you. I love what you're doing. Keep up the good work. So there you go. If you want to find all the show notes, 12 links we covered, just go to wetflyswing.com slash 158 or If you can, I'd love it if you can head over to wetflyswing.com slash steelheadgear to grab the winner steelhead pdf and now i'd like to share a poem read from one of the wet fly swing member society josh clausen take it away for the brook trout by greg keeler you live hard in the backwaters and eddies where your flesh turns like coal into diamond and you burn orange up the flare of your fins for your own reason the tracks stunning your back into dark marble and where we would go in sleep if dream were water since it's not, we rely on you to show us the way east. When you find size in still waters, four pounds draped over a purist's hand, it leaves no choice. Plato was wrong. All of the West was wrong. This living shadow burns, has weight. That poem was written by Greg Keeler and read by our own Josh Clausen. You can find more of Greg Keeler's work in his book, Trash Fish, 